This is a Mr. Thrive Media production. Wish I had a million dollars. Hot dog! Hello, small business warriors. I'm Joel Volk, and welcome to Small BizCast, where twice a month I explore the lives of small business owners to dig a bit deeper and expose strengths, weaknesses, ideas, and challenges with blemishes and all. As I look back at my years in business, I remember that there are many, many times I needed a lawyer to just poke their nose in and take a look and see what they could do to help. Sometimes I just needed advice on a lease. Other times I needed to have a contract that a customer wanted me to sign or a vendor wanted me to sign and I wanted someone to look at it. Sometimes I had to worry about employment law. Other times I needed to change my corporation, make partnership agreements, things on that level. So I'm very proud that we are sponsored by a firm that specializes in these types of things for small businesses. Coincidentally, it's called the Small Business Law Firm. Scott Williams is the principal attorney at the Small Business Law Firm. He's the go-to guy for anything related to small business matters. I like to think of them as the Swiss Army knife for your business. So when you're ready, and even if you're not ready, keep it on hand because you might be ready sooner than you know, call 855-5-BIZ-LAW. That's 855-524-9529. Ask for Scott, mention the Small Biz Cast, and remember they're a great resource should things get ugly. Well, thanks for tuning in to the Saving Nigel special. This is special because it's taken a long time to put together. It came from a concept from one of our panelists, Janice Miller of the Miller Hobby Law Group. We were brainstorming ways we could take a scenario and workshop it. And she came up with the fictional character of Nigel and we developed it from there. So thanks Janice for this. That concept is that some business people start their businesses without giving it a lot of thought. They may have left their previous job or just wanted to go on their own and they think it's a little easier than they actually find it to be. And then they find themselves where Nigel is, where he is working very hard, trying to keep his head above water, treading water. And sometimes the water's rising and they need help. People like Nigel will often need help from seasoned business people. They'll need help from professionals, executive coaches about marketing, they needed legal help, they needed accounting help. And so I brought in this great panel of people. I brought in Nancy Fox, the business fox, Janice Miller of the Miller Hogger Law Group, and Stephen Geller of Morris and D'Angelo, a CPA firm in San Jose, California. So we're all with Nancy Fox, the business fox, and we're going to help Nigel take his business from concept to an enterprise with, with the eye of a marketing person and an executive planner, executive coach. So that's why I brought Nancy back. You may recall Nancy from a few weeks ago. She did a great job on our podcast. I wanted to bring her back for this panel. So hi, Nancy. How are you doing? Good to see you. Hello, Joel. I'm really excited to be on this call with you. That's great. Hi, Nigel. <laughs> so um, what, do you, what, what questions would you have for Nigel to get started with some advice for him? Well, first of all, I would want to know, you know, what's the what's the context of his business like what made him start the business how did he decide what the business should be you know how long has he been in it and then what's working and what's not working because i think that knowing a lot of that is very important like you know there are different stages of a business there's you know the startup phase and then there's you know when you get into some traction and then you get into momentum so there's that you know you know early 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 and maybe even before early it's like you know conceptualizing the business and then early stage and then now you're in a little bit of traction and now you're in momentum and then you get to the you know now you want to take yourself up to the next level so it's uh i think i would say i'd like to learn more about what made nigel start that particular business and um how long he's been in the business and then what are some of what's working and what isn't so so nigel is a uh pool guy he's a pool man 
he's a pool service and he worked for somebody else and he got all his customers liked him and didn't like the management. And a few said, why don't you go out on your own? And he said, okay. And he's, you know, he's a nice guy who knows what he's doing, but he's never been in business before. And this is, and now he, now he's ready to start building his route. He wants to add another route, add a truck, add a person and start to turn his, his, you know, his self, employed job into a business okay awesome so um right now what's what's so where is he in this in his business stage right now like where, where is he at and what's he's and what's, classic entrepreneur overworked and underpaid has no time to do everything he has to do feels like he's got no time at all merely doing all the you know trying to keep all the the balls in the air working as much as he can, barely has time to get the billing out, barely has time to, so he knows he needs to delegate. He just doesn't know how to get started. Okay, so what I would say is, um, it sounds like he has some clients. It sounds like he is in the traditional service um, hamster wheel dilemma, which is, you know, um, you need to service the business in order to make money, and then there's no time to market. So when you're servicing the business, no time to market. Then when you spend time marketing, there's no business coming in. So the good news is in a pool business, um, if first of all, I would imagine that it's somewhat seasonal unless you live, you know, in California, which is pretty much all year round. But some places it's seasonal. I don't know if he's here in California or if he's in another part of the country. But you know, there there is usually when people are, you know engaging in that kind of a service it's an ongoing um billing situation that's the good news so that means it's like monthly revenue right. uh, providing everything providing people stay you know with their with their that they don't cancel their service so i don't know what rules and or guidelines he has with people um i don't know if he's calculated how much time it takes for him to actually get to a client and how much time it takes to service the client he really needs to get a sense of how much of time and how much each client is worth in order to figure out how to scale the business because scaling the business requires an understanding of you know what you're bringing in and against how much time it's taking you to execute so in order to scale the business he's going to really have to do the typical e-myth revisited model which is replicate yourself and the problem with that is that it takes time to attract new candidates to you know, do another route to uh, vet them, to test them out, to make sure that they're providing the same service. So there's really got to be a process in your mind about like, what, what is the sequence that you want? How soon do you want to be bringing on a team of people? What's the cost going to be? I mean, in, in a service business like that, where you are the product, you are the service and you are the product, there are a lot of factors. So you've got to really sit down and map the whole thing out. Most people who start a service-based business like that it's like de car detailing. It's like, oh, get, or, or house cleaning services. It's like, oh, I get a client, I get a client, I get a client. But you don't really calculate how much it's really costing you and how much you're actually bringing in. Usually, what this is a big, one of the big mistakes that people make. Usually, what they do is they leave their invoicing and billing to the end, the last thing they do, and they leave it to the end and they wind up either not doing it and why their money comes in late or they don't have an automated system so there aren't any systems in place so i don't know if that's where nagel is at does he have systems in place for this well that's where he is now as the, the fourth person on this panel of course is me someone who's run a business and been through this a lot and what i'm trying to get him to do is focus really on the technology what can i what can i off 
offload to technology. So for instance, the, the monthly billing, since they're monthly subscriptions and they're almost always the same, a lot of the bills can be done automated. You can have you can set up recurring payment. I would, I, I'm encouraging and I would encourage anybody, don't take checks, don't take cash, do electronic payment whenever possible. I, I know that creates a speed bump to some people doing business, so that may not be ideal for everybody. But the less you have- Why to, do you think, what's the speed bump that you envision for people? Well, some people just, some, some customers want to pay with checks and some people, if so, so I, I've had this vision of retail forever saying, if I had a retail store, I would give discounts to people that paid by credit card because it's so much more efficient to use credit card than it is to handle cash, cash, which is counterintuitive to most people because to use a credit card, you have to pay a, a fee to the credit card company. But to me, it's the, the convenience of make, making it as easy as possible to, to handle the transaction without ever having to stop and deal with cash and all the different steps it takes to deal with cash takes away much more than the discount rate you pay the, you pay the credit card processor, in my opinion. So I have a contrary opinion of, of two things in life, contrary opinion of, of overtime hours and I have a contrary opinion of credit cards. Pay the credit card fees is the cheapest fee and we'll talk about the overtime another time. But um, that's so I, this is my view of it. I really think I'm with you on automation and I really, I have found the following, uh, including some people who have a lot of experience in business. I work with some super, you know, really experienced people and multi-million dollar companies and they have been in terrible um, receivable situations. Um, I would... I think that someone who's, if I were starting out in business, I would advise every single one of my clients that I would be advising, um, there are no, ca no cash, no, no checks. Immediately put everything on credit cards or um, debit card billing. They can, they, can, they can cancel at any time. However, I would not give any discounts at all for using credit cards because you're already, um, you're already taking a hit for the fees, right? However, I would, when people decide that they're going to book out for a year, give them a discount. And that works too. Any, anything that encourages that automatic pay system. Um, I, I, your, your podcast, you were very clear that you, one of the, your secrets to your success is you don't allow accounts receivable in your-, in your Never. Well, right. not, everybody can, not, <laughs> right. not everybody can do that for a variety of reasons, but- but, I disagree with that. I say everybody can do it. Everybody can do it. The problem is that their mindset is, I'm afraid that they won't do it. Next, get rid, go on to the next cut. Only people, you see, that's where people, business owners get into real trouble. When they don't decide who they want to work with and who they don't want to work with, they wind up having their clients and their customers run their business, not them. So from a completely, this is where my, my coaching to every student I have, make sure that you establish the policies and the way your business is going to run. For those people who don't want to play game, who don't want to play the game with you that way, say no, no problem, find someone else. Go, because if you don't construct the business the way you want it, they're gonna run your business. I can tell you some hair-raising stories for some people who did not follow this, this, um, in this guide, this, my, my coaching and my guiding, and they wound up actually being, um, they went under because their clients ran their business for them. That's how it goes. So you believe that even for very early stage businesses where, where every customer is golden, you're saying let them walk away, take away the flexibility 
Um, right from the get-go, you set your right. business up the way. You, it's your vision. Right. You're going to get clients. If you believe in, listen, you're not just doing this because they like the way you're get, they're, they're going to pay you. They're doing it because they're choosing you over other service providers. Give them added value. Make it palatable for them. For the people who don't want to play this, don't want to play the game with you that way, they're not for you. Because I'll tell you this, it's a whole lot harder to try to get money from people where you've already done the work for them than it is for you to lose that, the client at the right from the get-go and get go find someone who's going to really be, really be um, uh, respecting your values and sharing your values. Anybody that wants to be in your business with you is going to respect you, especially if you respect them. This is not like foreign territory where people are not used to paying for things by credit card or debit card. They do it all the time. It's no biggie. Okay. All right. Good. Good. What else? What else should Nigel think about? So I would say that Nigel really has to have a really good, clear picture of what he wants his life to look like and what he wants his, what he, what kind of clients he wants to work with and what's his ultimate game plan. Like if, does he want to build this business to sell it? Does he want to build this business to have a uh, employees? Does he want to have no employees? Because if he doesn't want to have employees, he can be the main service provider there are a lot of ways to slice this cake. He doesn't have to build his business uh, by just having more employees and having more roots. I mean, I could see different possibilities. Let's say he builds out his route and it becomes a fully booked business. He can teach other pool people how to build it and make money from the teaching of it or franchising the idea of it. He does not have to buy, get employees. And that's why the vision of what he really wants and what he doesn't want has to be done in right from the beginning. That's why I think it's so important to understand, you know, what's he good at? What's he not good at? What does he like? What does he not like? How much money does he want to make a year? Some I have worked with some professionals um, where they're happy earning $300,000 a year. They don't want to work any harder than that. That's it. It's enough for them. That's good. And other people, they want to get to 1 million, 10 million, 20 million. And they're not happy unless they get there. So, so much of it matters about like, who are you? What, what's your, what's your, What's your end goal here and why? What's your big why? Do you have a, a family that you want to leave the business to? Do you want to bring your family members into the business? Do you want to like build it to a million bucks and sell it? So I think if Nigel were here right now, Nigel, would his head would be exploding because I think that's way beyond what he's been thinking about. He's been thinking about getting, you know, he's treading water and, his, and the water's rising. And he's just trying to get beyond that first stage crisis that you put, the e-myth model where you spend so much time doing the work that you don't have time to do the rest of the rest of the business you can't run the business and you drown with accounts receivable you drown with all the all the administrative burdens of running your business and to where you feel like you're you can't get ahead i think i think what you're describing is is more advanced and frankly where nigel is at the moment and 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 so i want to speak on behalf of those people who aren't thinking in terms of exit strategy and those people who aren't thinking in terms of of uh, they're they're thinking of succeed, you know, getting getting beyond this entrepreneurial first step. So this is where I think a lot of new entrepreneurs make a big mistake. I think you need to like maybe you want to get your first three or four or five clients right, and you're servicing people. But as soon as that happens, you've really got to get some systems in place. You know, you need to and. I learned this early on, and I'm going to say this loud and clear. You have got to be building your business um, a year to two years ahead of time. It is too late to address the issues that come up as you get to them. 
you got to build your business for what you wanted what you wanted to grow into. Now it might be premature to be building a business. You know, figuring out do you want to sell it? Do you want to get a partner? I don't. That is that that's something to be debated. But I will tell you this: that if you're in the first ninety days of your business, for six months of your business, you have got to be working on developing the structure of your business, the model of your business, and setting it up as if you're in business for the for, for eighteen years to two years out. If you don't do that, you are definitely going, first of all, what's going to happen is you're not going to service anybody well. You're going to be completely burnt out. Things are going to start to fall through the cracks. You're going to lose clients anyway. You won't be adding clients and you just, and, and if you get sick, you're screwed anyway. So, so this you've is, got, you've yeah, got so to this, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you're on, you were saying exactly what I was hoping you were getting to. And I was trying to poke you in the ribs to get you there because you have to run your business with a vision. Thank you for thank you for taking my lead on that. I appreciate it. The, the the thought of just of just you know waking up and just starting your day by what you're reacting to is not going to get any business person anywhere. You have to have a vision as soon as you can. And you you just said it so well. Eighteen months to two years out. What does your business look like? And you better work, work for that at, at every step. So thank you, Nancy. Bingo. The problem really is no one really wants to believe that they've got to be building their business as if they're 18 months out. They feel too scared and nervous and they're, they're just worried about getting the next client. So part of the coaching and training is absolutely in getting the mindset of the person to actually believe and see and vision before it's real. It's like Wayne Dyer said it best. You've got to believe it, then you'll see it. And I, I know it's a challenge. That is why having a a tried and true professional to guide you and bring you back to because it is so easy to be remember something when you're a pool you know if you're Nigel and you're a pool guy and you're building your pool business you know it's one it's like you're just transferring being an employee you're now an employee of yourself you're just treating yourself like an employee that is not having a business I get that it's easy to bring in some cash this way but ultimately it winds up being um, a burnout situation Exactly. And I've seen it a thousand times. I'm sure you have as well. It's, it's so critical that you build a business and not just a job for yourself. You're saying exactly what I would say as well. Have that vision. And you've got to, that's why it's so important to hang out with other business owners who have gone through that for, I mean, who've gone through that first phase and then, you know, graduated into phase two and phase three. I can remember my first coach saying to me, you know, um, I remember when he said to me, that uh, I was in like, you know, early stage startup. And I, I said, I'm not early stage. Like I felt really resentful. And I said, <laughs> I, I just said, I'm not going to be that person. I am going to graduate into moment. I'm going to graduate into, you know, um, traction and momentum. And I, I really always thought of, I really always saw a service business as a real business. The way they taught it to me was book out your time, book out your time, half hour, half hour, half hour. That's basically an hourly job. That's not having a business. There's yep. no time for marketing. There's no time for strategy. Then you're just working as a workhorse. I just didn't want that kind of life. And that's why when I work with people, people who are determined to be a workhorse in their business and not willing to see themselves as a business owner, I'll, I'll, I'll tell them really straight, you know, um, 
I think you should go back and rethink this because I don't think you're I don't think you're really ready for a business business. You're going to burn out. So I don't really I, I I really invite people to get very straight with themselves about what they're really building, and when they sit back and think about it, and if the the ones who are really they really are entrepreneurial and they really want to learn to do it the right way. They come back and say, okay, show me what I got to do. Show me how I got to think. So today, ironically, is my 35th anniversary at Mercury Document Imaging. And Ooh, started there, I was, I, I was, I knew everything. I was 23 years old. I knew everything. My parents had started the business a few years earlier. They were struggling with it and I came to it. And very shortly after I was there, I remember writing a, um, uh, you know, what do you want to call it? A manifesto, whatever. And it was describing stage one, stage two, and stage three. In my mind, this is without anybody teaching me anything. Stage one was a startup and stage two is where you're in growth mode and you're planning your growth and, and you're always trying to be entrepreneurial and you're hungry and you're looking for opportunities and you're building, you're finding, you're finding problems and then building solutions for the problems you're finding. And stage three was more complacency. I'm winding down. And I said, our goal is to never be in stage three. Stage three is, we don't want to ever be in stage three. We always want to be in stage two. We got to get to stage two as quick as possible. Now, I don't know how conventional that is to wisdom out there. This was just my instinct at that time. I still have the papers. I've had them, if you see me on the Zoom call looking at this, because I know exactly where they That's are. That's really cool. And I read them once in a while. But, th but we always wanted to be in stage two, where you're always finding new problems to solve and solving them and that's how you grow your and help and helping people get to that place uh where they can solve the problems for themselves so it's a anyway. that's really fascinating it's a really great thing to hear and you know i think that um that's why you were in business for 35 years i mean that's why you know ups downs ins outs you know lots of changes technology i mean so many millions of changes that went on right and you still you know, it's always about never, you know, as an entrepreneur, part of the beauty of being an entrepreneur is there is no, there's an end game, but there's no end. It's like, you know what I mean? There's a, the next end game and the next end game and the next, it's like, you're always looking to grow and to improve. Right. And I, and I, I think what you said earlier also is key. And I hope people heard it is hang out with other people who are in business who have done it. You, you'll, you'll bring each other uh, value by just talking about your experiences Talking about your paradigm, I, I remember I used to meet with about four or five people once once a week for lunch, and I used to jokingly say that our problem we, we'd sit there at lunch and commiserate, and then our job was to walk around way our, our goal rather was to walk away going, I'm glad I'm not them. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, because I think we'd all go back thinking, okay, our problems are you know different problems than those guys, and I got mine handled, and you learn from the way they handled their, their problems and their issues, and you can't really have those conversations with people who haven't sat in the chair, so to speak. So I actually want to expound on that a little bit because uh, I was really, uh, one thing that really surprised me in the beginning, I was so gung-ho about having a business. It was so cool. I was just so, I couldn't believe that this corporate soldier was able to get out of, get out of Dodge and start a business. It was like, I couldn't believe it was really me. And then I could decide what I wanted to do for myself. Um, and I started to interact with a bunch of different, you know, I went to a lot of networking groups and I met a lot of other entrepreneurs and people. Um, and we would do strategic alliances. And I learned something fascinating. There are entrepreneurs and there are entrepreneurs. And there are a lot of people who say the right words who have the right jargon, 
who talk the talk. And when it comes time to actually showing up, all of a sudden they've got all these reasons why they can't, or they, you know, they just don't show up. And right. I can't tell you how many times that um, there would have been some, um, you know, plans that I made with people who were very smart. You know, they were smart people and they were, you know, they seemed very determined and they seemed very, you know, um, unstoppable where I am. And then when push came to shove, they, all their promises were evaporated. So there are all kinds of entrepreneurs. You have to, again, this just goes exactly to what I was saying about finding the right customers and clients who match your values. I really think that one of the biggest mistakes entrepreneurs make is they don't assess the people they hang out with enough. They don't vet the customers that they allow to work with them enough. Because if you work with people who are the wrong customers or the wrong colleagues, they will drain you. They'll become psychic vampires. That's how it really feels. I think you're right. I think one of the things I used to identify was, is this person a business person who went, who chose a craft or is it a craft person who went into business? And if they were a craft person who went into business, I didn't typically didn't find I'd get a lot of value out of our relationship. I might like them personally, they might be nice people, but we wouldn't help each other grow our businesses because they were about the craft, not about the entity, the enterprise. When I found business people who chose a craft, they're the ones that could see the vision. They're the ones that could, could, could see a path towards something bigger than what they were doing. And there was a huge distinction when I had that light bulb go off saying, ah, that's a yeah. went into business. And the other thing I found, certainly, you know, being a networking ninja is I found out that not all networking <laughs> is created equal. Um, there were yeah. a few networking populations that really, they helped me grow so much. And um, they were also truly just mushrooming opportunities of business, you know, just business. And then there were others that were all talking, no shit. I mean, there just were just a lot of hot air. And right. a lot of times people, they look for networking that's cheap, you know, inexpensive. And right. no you, know, you, get you, you get what you pay for. You know, right. the, more, the more you're working with, with people who, are in, who have already broken through the first level of, you know, the first barrier, the better it's going to be for you. Right. Um, so if you identify, I'm sorry to interrupt you. If you, if you identify yourself as a craftsman who's done the business, how do you convert yourself to someone who's more, you know, visual, vis, visionary? That's, I don't think I have the answer to that. Usually I have. So a, when you say that, I you're would, saying like, how do you start to see, how do you start to think from a visionary place versus a more tactical um, kind of approach? Yeah, see, so you said it well. I didn't, but that's what I mean exactly. I'll tell you something. I think that if you have it within you to be growth-oriented and to, to really, one of the things that I think entrepreneurs really have an opportunity for is to be personally, they're personally interested in growing. Um, there are a lot of people who are in all kinds of businesses that are, they're simply you know, by rote, like by rote, you know, this is, they're in a, it's like a tunnel vision kind of approach. Sometimes when you, it can be just a conversation and someone will say something to you and a light bulb goes off and you go, hmm, I think I want to read that book or let me, let me read that article or maybe have another conversation with that person. It just takes a moment where you get caught by the bug of wanting to learn more. There are some people, I've asked myself this question too, can you teach motivation? Can you teach perseverance? 
I think to a certain extent you can, but the germ of it, like the seed has to be there. Yeah, I don't believe you can. I actually don't believe. I think tenacity is something that comes from deep within. You know, I think that sometimes it needs, it's there, but it needs to be ignited. Mm -hmm. If you had met me in my corporate years, you would have said, lost cause. But once I made a, once I decided to, once I made the leap to go off on my own, I knew how to, uh, it's like amazing. Something happened where in the past, before then, I always thought I knew everything. But when I went off on my own, something opened up and I realized I know nothing. I better learn from people who know something. Even though I had been in the business world for 20 years and had built multi-million dollar businesses for companies, I knew how to do that. But somehow I had some inkling, some germ of an idea that said, I think you better learn from people that know what they're doing around here. So if, you're so, Nigel, if you're Nigel right now, what do you do with this information? How do you move forward with it then? If I were, well, if I were, I, first of all, I would be talking to Nigel and I'd be asking a little bit about, you know, what made him go into business in the first place. And I really think that getting to know the, the, the business owner is so important to answering the question. Like it's, I mean, I could give the, you know, I could give feedback and, and suggestions top of line without without any context, but it's never going to be as good as if I had some context. Let's say Nigel just says, I just don't want to be, I don't want to be working for anybody. I think I can make more money. If it's only about the money, it's a tough road because when it comes to only about the money, as soon as you hit the speed bumps, you know, you have to really like what you're doing. If you don't like it, it's, you hit speed bumps, you're going to want to give up. Yeah. So I have to really believe in, like, I, it's, I always say, I always give this story. When I was growing up, I lived next door to a guy who was a very successful businessman, and his business was manufacturing toilet seats. And I used to say to myself, how does he stand doing that toilet seats? Like, why would he do that? Because he loved what he did. He wanted to, he loved what he did. He loved manufacturing. He loved his company, and he wanted to make his family have a great life. All those things converge. So for him, it worked. But for someone else, for me, no, I would have to really, if I don't like toilet seats, I'm not working on that business. So you have to really like what you're doing. In a, for Nigel, if he likes people and he likes helping, maybe he loves pools, I don't know. Maybe he loves service. Maybe he likes having customers that he can talk to. I don't know what made, made him choose that. But I think knowing that makes a very big difference because you want to be able to have longevity in your business and that the more you like it, the more you care about it, the more enjoyable it is to you, the more you're going to stick with it. Hey, that's great advice. How does a Nigel get a hold of you? If you oh, I'm so difficult to get a hold of. Um, no. <laughs> Nancy at the businessfox.com or the businessfox.com. And I'm all, I'm on LinkedIn find me Nancy Fox on LinkedIn. It's actually on LinkedIn. It's linkedin.com forward slash I N forward slash. Don't ask me how that happened, but I don't know. That's how you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm all over there. You can find me on YouTube. I've got a whole bunch of stuff. Every You can watch all my videos and lots of good stuff everywhere. So I've been watching them. They're fantastic. I recommend anybody who's serious about growing their business, watch them too. And thank you, Joel. You'll find Nancy's information on the show notes, so please uh, look it up. And I think you're pretty big on Instagram, if I'm not mistaken. I'm on Instagram. I'm, I, I just started to, um, 
I had for a while I had all these followers. I had no idea where they came from. So I started to do some more posting there. I'm a big believer that social media can sometimes be way, way, way too spread out. So I focus mostly on Facebook and LinkedIn, although I'm just starting to grow Instagram. Yeah. Great. Well, you're awesome. I need you to be great on this panel. We're going to bring you back for more. So thank you for that, Nancy. My pleasure. It was great to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. And good luck, Nigel. Nancy Fox is the founder and president of The Business Fox, a business consulting and training company specializing in guiding law, accounting, and service businesses to help them grow smarter and better using networking, business development, and niche marketing strategy. And I want to thank you, Nancy, for joining us today. Janice Miller of the Miller Haga Law Group is our next panelist. And I want to tell a little story here. First of all, this concept as I said earlier, originated by Janice. We were brainstorming on how to do a panel about a, a workshop, and we really weren't getting anybody to send us some questions, but we knew the questions are out there because people often have these issues in business. And so Janice says, why don't we create Nigel and make Nigel our test company, and we could build on that. I thought it was a great idea, and we did it. We actually recorded a whole episode, and there were a couple of reasons that we had to scrap it. Nothing to do with Janice, all to do with me. And we decided to redo it. So thank you, Janice, for your patience and your creativity. It's really helpful. Janice is the managing partner of the Miller Haga Law Group in Calabasas, California. She and her partner, Ian, are really sharp and they know exactly what they're doing when it comes to helping businesses thrive. Um, they, their tagline is fantastic. Innovative General Counsel Services. What does that mean? That means that they act as the general counsel for businesses of all sizes, proactively helping them prevent problems by putting good legal processes in place and, and to uh, review contracts, review kind of all the things that you have to do on day-to-day -day legal questions and challenges that may come up before they get to a place where you might get sued or you have to sue somebody. Correct. We are business transactional lawyers. So what that means is if you think about putting something in writing, that's when you call us. We handle all sorts of corporate formations from startups to wind down and everything in the middle, everything in between from a contractual point of view it just means we don't go to court. So when you're thinking about putting things in writing, whether it's forming a company or doing contracts or business succession plans or mergers and acquisitions, that's when you would give us a call. Located in Calabasas, California, next to a really good deli. I kind of, I, um, I can kind of uh, position everybody I know by which deli they're closest to. I've got this gift. So uh, it's, uh, I don't know what that says about me, but it's almost true. It says uh, that you like delis. Right, right. So um, the reason that Janice is here is because Nigel reached out to us. Nigel is a, a small business person. He's really a gig person. He does everything by the job. He doesn't really have a real business, but now he realizes that he might need some help turning into real business to take advantage of some of the opportunities available by the government during this COVID-19 crisis because he wants to grow his business, he sees an opportunity now that, 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 that maybe he can grow his business once this is all over. And I brought Janice in to kind of help us learn what Nigel can do. So uh, you're familiar with Nigel, yes? I know Nigel very well, yes. Thanks, thanks Joel, for that opportunity. So let, let, let us say that um, in a pre-COVID-19 world, what we would recommend for Nigel, depending on the amount of money that he's bringing in in his gift business, is probably to form some sort of corporation. So depending on what he's doing in his, in his life, it would either be a S corporation or it would be a limited liability company, an LLC. And we might still recommend that for Nigel uh, post-COVID-19. Obviously, we're all sort of in a hovering and holding pattern. Um, 
for that. But from what I understand, Nigel's been in his business for some time and makes enough money that he's eligible for certain of the governmental programs, but not enough money so that he's not eligible for certain of those other programs. So let's talk about it a little bit. So let's say hypothetically that Nigel is a small restaurant owner and he and his family work in this business and they have a brick and mortar location. Right now he's had to lay off uh, most of his folks uh, because of what's going on, but he's still doing takeout and delivery. If Nigel is a, is a pool operator and it's himself and maybe he has a helper every now and again, he'd still be uh, available to him. Uh, some of the programs um, under the CARES Act, which is a governmental program that's out there and that we've all heard about. Uh, there are two different programs actually under the CARES Act. One is called the EIDL and the other is the PPP, or the Payroll Protection Program. Um, the first thing that Nigel should have done is, is apply for the EIDL program, and that's through the Small Business Administration. And that's still available to him. It's a, up to a $10,000 grant loan that the uh, Small Business Administration has, and there's a lot of paperwork that you need to have. One thing for sure, no matter who you are and what type of business that you have, is you need to have your accounting records in really good shape. So if you're working with an accountant, or if you're doing this by yourself and you have QuickBook files, have that all handy when applying for these opportunities. That's what so, I was going to bring up as, as maybe Nigel's an, an exception, but most gig people are, they don't have a lot of books, they don't have accounting, they may not even have bank accounts. They may operate their finances through Venmo or other types of services like that. Are these programs available for those types of tiny business people, micro business people? Yeah, ab ab absolutely. You're still going to have to have good books and records, though, because in, in all scenarios, they're going to want to know wages and what you've earned and what you're not earning now and right. whether you're 100% out of the work or whether your work has been reduced as a result of the pandemic. Is there a, um, so you have to have a banking relationship, correct? Uh, you have to have a banking relationship with regard to the PPP program or the payroll protection program. Uh, okay. That's the program that everybody is hearing the funds ran out, but today is April the 21st. And as of April the 21st, it appears as if the House and Senate are gonna issue a second tranche uh, of money and five that billion money, dollar, I mean, $5 trillion, I believe. Correct, yeah. that, that money will be, um, given to many more small businesses, including the micro businesses, as, as we will see. Um, I, I'm sure you've heard, Joel, and our listeners will know that there are several lawsuits that have been filed against the bigger banks uh, for issuing these loans to some bigger companies when this money was really supposed to be for small and, and smaller businesses. Are they able to recover those monies once they're distributed? Is who able to recover? Well, those lawsuits there's lawsuits to reverse it or to stop the funding. This one's going out. Will the, will that money be redirected? How will that work if that, if they, if the lawsuits succeed? Uh, I, I think it all depends on what the lawsuits are asking for. Currently what they're asking for is that uh, a forfeiture of the sums that have been available, like Shake Shack uh, received a huge PPP loan uh, or grant, $10 million, and they've returned those funds. Uh, so I think, you know, like, like a lot of legal questions, is it, it really depends what the call for action is against the banks and against the companies. I think one thing that you will see is with the second tranche of money, the banks are going to look and the scrutiny will be much higher as to where those funds are sent. Very good. So uh, what, else, what else will Nigel have to do in order to 
to become a legitimate business? Well, um, in order to become a legitimate business, Nigel is going to have to form a company. And in forming that company, we'll have to look at whether or not he's got property involved. I mean, if we're talking about Nigel strictly being a pool guy, then Nigel will have some equipment and, and it's likely that he won't necessarily have a brick and mortar location, uh, maybe with the exception of a storage unit uh, or has purchased a truck uh, to keep all his equipment in. Uh, if, in fact, he has a lease of any kind, uh, whether it's for a storage unit or otherwise, there's issues regarding rent and the payment of that rent, uh, even if Nigel is just, you know, Nigel the pool guy and has a home or an apartment that he's living in, questions have come up during this time as to whether or not he's going to have to uh, pay rent or what the ramifications are right now about paying rent or not paying rent. Would you like me to talk about that, Joel? Sure, of course. I, I want to, at the same token, I'm just thinking, a business like Nigel's probably works out of his home. And I know you're not a CPA or an accountant, but will he be able to write off part of his home, the expenses of living in his home towards uh, as an office expense? Or will he have to do that? Will he actually have to have a, a, a standalone building or standalone business? Sure. The short answer is I'm not an accountant. The more <laughs> uh, difficult answer is likely we'll be able to take uh, some of those expenses, but absolutely, if he's getting to that point in his career where he's thinking about forming a business, uh, I like to say that um, every good business entrepreneur needs to have a um, quiver, and inside that quiver, he needs a bunch of arrows, and some of those arrows are uh, a lawyer, an accountant, a banking relationship, an insurance person. So, um, I think it's prudent for Nigel in his business as it grows to have all these relationships and his accountant would better be able to direct him as to whether or not some of those uh, home office expenses will be deductible. Thank you. I, I knew that goes outside your, your lane a little bit, but I thought you would know the answer. At least yep. Maybe not the details, but the general, uh, general direction of it. Sure, my pleasure. So please go ahead. Okay, no worries. So um, you're starting a business, and, and as I mentioned, you know, I'll switch analogies because I much prefer football, and thank God for the football draft on Thursday night to give us a little bit of sports. Uh, um, he's going to have to have a, you know, he'll be the quarterback and have a bunch of special teams, and part of those special teams will help direct him in everything he needs as a small business entrepreneur and owner. Um, obviously, a lawyer to help him draft and get set up with the correct entity formation. Um, given what he's doing, depending, you know, if he's doing um, pools in Malibu and has, a, or Beverly Hills and doing an amazing clientele and doing several hundred thousand dollars a year, um, we might want to go one route. If he's here in the Conejo Valley, uh, we may want to go another route. And that really depends in part too on what his accountant says. So usually lawyers and accountants work together when establishing uh, businesses, even for uh, small entrepreneurs or micro business entrepreneurs. Uh, another special team person that we have with us is an insurance person. If Nigel is going on the property of others, Nigel is going to have to have some general liability insurance and other types of insurance so that, uh, God forbid, if something happens and Nigel's either injured while on property or injures something while he's on someone's property, that he's covered and that Nigel personally won't be um, implicated as a result of that. And even if he is at fault, he'll have insurance to protect him against that. 
And that's why. Right, so speaking of which, he'll need workers' compensation for his employees if he has any, but he will not be covered by his own workers' compensation. As an, as an employer, he's not covered by workers' compensation. So what would happen if he were to become injured on the job? Uh, you know my answer. It's going to be, it depends. Um, <laughs> and it, it, it depends on, on the corporate structure that we, that we file for him. And while as an employee of my own company, I'm not necessarily covered by work comp, uh, if I'm on someone else's property, and let's say there was a, um, let's do two scenarios. Scenario one, there's a big crack right before the pool, and Nigel should have seen that going up to the pool. Um, you can say that he was partly negligent as a result of that and is not entitled to anything. Um, if, however, it's, it's a hidden um, fault, right? He couldn't see that there was a gaping hole there and the owner knew about it. He potentially could go after the homeowner's uh, policy. But we're swerving out of my lane a little bit here too because we don't practice insurance defense law. So what, what, what is real important for Nigel is that he does protect himself with general liability insurance. And if he does have employees uh, and assistance that he does get work comp insurance for them. Other types of things that, that Nigel will need as he grows this business, he'll definitely need a banking relationship. One thing that has been critical during this whole COVID-19 pandemic is the large banks have really not, for the most part, and I'm speaking in generalities, treated their clients very well. Uh, local, regional banks are faring much better with dealing with their customers and have been holding their hands a little bit through all of the applications and stuff that Nigel would be able to avail himself under, which is the PPP that we mentioned a few minutes ago. If Nigel is going to have employees, there's a whole host of, of other factors that come, in, come into play. Um, W-9 forms, having uh, the correct paperwork, um, having a good employment lawyer. Uh, now, if I was Nigel, I'd be freaking out right now about all the stuff I have to do. I'd be rethinking this. Do you have any kind of formula for where you would start? If you were Nigel, would you say, would you regroup or would you wait till you get to a certain revenue level? Or what point would you say, I have to do this? Maybe I should wait until a certain point. I mean, the, the, the more that you're the more that you're describing what Nigel has to do, the, the more freaked out uh, Nigel's going to be because being part of the gig, gig world means you don't have to worry about all these things that now he has to worry about. And be, growing a business is a difficult, challenging thing. And these are, all, these are all the distractions that keep you from working on the product that you sell, the widgets that you provide, and the services that you offer. And because you have to worry about all these things that will absolutely, you know, be, they're, they're so important. You have to have them in place. And when you're really a one-person company and you can't delegate a lot of that out, it becomes a very, very scary, really intimidating process. So as I'm hearing this, I'm thinking, Nigel, don't do it. Don't do it, Nigel. But at some point he has to. What point would that be? First, let me say that you're a real smart guy and that it is a scary proposition. Uh, second, let me say that um, it's the economics that drive the decisions. And if Nigel has gotten to a level where potentially his uh, personal finances or what Nigel has um, behind this business, if Nigel has a huge trust fund, if Nigel has other properties, if this is a part 
time business. It's a side business for him and it's growing. We definitely want to protect against his other assets and what he has. So, you know, the theme throughout this is a lot of lawyers say things depend. This really depends on a lot of factors. And while it is a scary proposition, like anything with Nigel's business, Nigel is really, really good at being a pool guy, but he's not necessarily really good at what it takes to start a business. So he can reach out to folks like us that, that do um, things for small entrepreneurs from startup to wind down. And we act as general counsel and help them here. Nigel could have a business coach that will also assist him with what's going on. Um, but it's really up to Nigel as to whether or not he wants to take his business from what I'll call a uh, garage band and take it onto the main stage. If he's ready to take it onto the main stage, then he's going to have to realize in his mind that number one, it's going to cost a little bit of money and don't be afraid of that because he's going to be able to recoup it once he's a big rock star. And if he does scare him uh, to do that, then Nigel may not be right to make that jumper move yet. That seems like good advice. How does Nigel get a hold of you? I love that. Um, we're at uh, www.millerhaga, M-I-L-L-E-R-H-A-G-A.com. Our phone number is area code 818-591-4200. Uh, and we're on LinkedIn as well. So uh, feel free to reach out. We give a 30 minute free consultation, especially during this time. We're here to help the community and help uh, young entrepreneurs start up. And then we stay with them throughout their life cycle, which is what we really do as general counsel. Janice, that was really great. Some great advice like Nancy's, yours is really relevant and it's so different. And so it's so interesting to see a different perspective. And I really appreciate the nuggets that you taught us and helped Nigel grow with. And my next guest is Stephen Geller. Stephen is one of my dearest friends. He is a partner in the CPA practice of Morrison D'Angelo in San Jose, California. Stephen is an entrepreneurial CPA. He works with companies of complex in nature, companies that may have locations or interests in other cities, states, or sometimes countries. As a result, he travels an awful lot. I'll let him tell you if he wants to why he wears a helmet while he travels. But I really want to thank you for joining us, Stephen. You really are a unique thinker. And I think that Nigel and the other Nigels of the world and uh, will, will benefit from this. So thanks for joining us, Stephen. Hey, thank you for having me. This was, this was a pleasure to be here uh, with you, Joel. Um, tell me something. Nigel, first of all, is Nigel you said Nigel's successful. Does Nigel make money at what he does? Nigel, Nigel makes a living. Okay. All right. And he believes that by scaling his business, he can uh, make a better living and provide a better living for other people. Yes. And have something of value to either okay. pass on or so on. Because sometimes we have entrepreneurs who think that by scaling, even though they're making, they're losing money on every transaction, they'll make it up in volume. So just let's establish that Nigel is, is not one of those and, and uh, is ready for ready to scale. Look, there are a lot of things. I know we have limited time. Um, I, I would, I would suggest if I had sat down with Nigel and we had an hour to talk, I would give him my top five list, which is really about 13 items. Let me, let me condense it down to a few items. So wait a second. So you're an accountant and your top five equals 13. Interesting. CPA stands for can't pass arithmetic. Gotcha. Okay, we have computers for that. First thing I'm going to tell them is you've got to be nimble and run lean. Be able to pivot. Be ready to 
make changes as the world changes that there are things you just simply don't have control over, like a COVID shutdown, like protests. Um, and sometimes we just have to be able, be ready to pivot on no notice. So in every business, first thing I always tell people is be nimble. All right. Next thing I'm going to tell Nigel is simplify. Even though you're complicating your life, do it in a simple, simple way. There are a bunch of ways you can do this, but it really has to do with working your strengths, maximizing your strengths and delegating your weaknesses. Joel, you and I are kind of DIY guys, right? You know, it hurts us to hire somebody to do something that we could do. Eh, maybe a little overstated, but I'll, I'll go with that for now. Okay. How many, how many trips to the hardware store does it take you to change a, a faucet? <laughs> See, I don't do plumbing. Okay. I learned a long time ago that plumbing is deceivingly difficult, and, although it looks simple, which is the problem with plumbing. So, I right. <laughs> so, so do things like payroll and bookkeeping and right. billing. Um, entrepreneurs think that they can do it all themselves. But you know what? Don't try. Hire a good bookkeeper. Hire, use a payroll service. Use outside services where you can. Make your life easy by investing in good technology, uh, automated billing systems, things that you can use from, from your app, billing software that you can use from your app, things that will integrate with your QuickBooks, Clover, Square, and bill timely. Because customers, if they get your bill timely, they'll pay it timely. That is so true. I can tell you that at Mercury, we always build the same day if we could. And we got paid very quickly. And it was the ones that lingered that the longer it took us to build, the longer it took us to get paid. There was something about that. So no question about it. You know, and I will also add a caveat there. Don't discount. People value uh, things for what at their price. So don't necessarily put a discount on things just because you think you have to. Price for purpose. Add value rather than lower price, is that what you're saying? Right, right. And use a simple and easy pricing structure. You know, don't have a different pricing for every person that you've got to remember. Give options, give choices, but have a standard pricing schedule. Pay your taxes. So I'm glad you brought up taxes because that was one of the things I was going to jump back to you on. How does a person manage preparing for taxes with the cash flow needs of growing a business? Every time you get a buck, think about it this way. If you're a sole practitioner, a sole, sole business, sole uh, proprietor, small corporation, think about it this way. 75 cents for me, 25 cents for the government. Just think about it that way. Now, if you've got a corporation, if you've got an S corp, it depends on structure. We can take salary, we can withhold in salary, we can do things like that to prevent it, prevent surprises. 25 cents for, for them, 75 cents for me. So I always flip that around a little bit too when I'm thinking about spending money, making an investment. That, that $100 is really about $140. Right. I, have to do about 100, I have to do about $130 of, of, of income in order to pay that $100 out. So I, I look at, so I always look at things. I do the math in my head. Is that really worth $130 to me? And, and I, I, I ask those questions. So I, from a buying perspective, Although I think it's a fool's errand for people to walk around their businesses shutting off lights and telling people to, you know, 
I, I think you have to keep your eye on expenses a little bit just for those reasons that this, the taxes really are pervasive. Yeah, look, you have to invest in your business. You have to uh, invest in your reputation and invest in your people. Not spending your time turning off light, light switches is just a fool's errand. You, you do have to spend money to make some money. Um, but it, it pay your taxes and pay them on time. Uh, you don't need the, the government to be your business partner. And that's what they will become if you don't pay your taxes timely. And there are other taxes. It's not just income taxes. We're talking about payroll taxes. You know how the government feels about payroll tax collection. I do indeed. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah so it's just for the listeners out there, there's, there's this, and correct me if I'm wrong, Stephen, but it's not your money. So when you don't pay, when you don't pay your payroll taxes, it means you're, you're, you're essentially stealing, I'll use the word stealing a little loosely, but you're, you're, you're stealing the money that belongs to other people. It's not like you're trying to avoid paying your own taxes. And the government will not discharge that in a bankruptcy, correct? Correct. And correct. And many years ago, the, con the context of Stephen bringing this up is I had, I had an employee who was responsible for making payroll deposits many, many years ago. Um, it was, we were a tiny little business and she, she took that payroll money herself and did it in the form of, of a cashier's check, led me to believe that I was paying those payroll taxes. And so when the marshal came in to say, hey, you owe, I think it was like $30,000. And this is, by the way, when the company's gross sales were probably about $300,000 a year. <laughs> it was devastating and it just so happened to occur while I was on my honeymoon <laughs> out of the country. So it was really bad timing <laughs> as well. So anyway, go ahead and digress, but I wanted to give the context why we're laughing about this. We're laughing about it, but it's pretty serious and it's surprising the number of businesses that get in trouble here. Uh, it's really important. The problem goes away if you use a payroll service because they will just automatically draft it at your bank. Um, but to just drive this point home, if you sign a paycheck, you could be held personally liable. We had a similar situation as I've shared with you before, a fraud. And my grandmother had signed a couple of paychecks. And even though the, the funds were stolen, my grandmother at the time, 90 years old, I think, got dragged into the IRS office. She was, she was always a bit shifty, don't you think? She was a bit shifty, yeah. <laughs> You know, the whole thing about salt and, and matzo balls. All right, let's get back to it. I've heard, along with paying your taxes, Nigel, whatever you do, your reputation is everything. Your reputation with your customers is everything. And your reputation with your vendors is everything. Pay your bills on time. And Joel, I've heard many of your guests say the exact same thing. One of the key to successful businesses, pay your bills on time. There's nothing wrong with using, using credit use it smartly. Yeah. And I, I'll also always add this, that sometimes reality gets in the way of that simple, uh, simple truth. And that's why you have to pick up the phone and be and being and call the people and tell them what, what you can do and then focus on what you can do and then honor what you promised. Um, and honor what you promised means that either you do what you say you're going to do, or you let somebody know why you can't and how you're going to fix it, but you can't right. ignore it. Ignoring it will put you out of business faster than anything. The minute you borrow from somebody, and when I say borrow from somebody, I mean you use a credit card or you buy something on terms. I know most vendors don't use terms anymore, but you you have a debt. Think about at that point, how are you going to repay this debt? And for a small business person, 
that's got to be in your mind. Do you have the, the, the resources and abilities? So, so uh, sorry to interrupt you then. So, so doesn't it make sense also for Nigel to try to get a banking relationship where he has a line of credit or some sort of, even if it's, uh, I mean, a lot of, a lot of very small business people finance their debts using credit cards, which is probably the worst way to do it, but that's better than nothing. You have to have some way to, to borrow money if you, if you can, is that, is, is what happened? Do they, do they, should, should Nigel give a personal guarantee to a bank for that purpose? Should he put his house up? What do you think? Uh, Nigel will do what, what he has to do to get, a, to get some financing. SBA is going to require personal guarantee. Right. Um, and I think in this today's market, other than PPP loans and EIDL loans, which are really just circumstantial, the main resource for small businesses like Nigel is going to be the SBA uh, or their own personal lines of credit, their HELOCs, or things like payoff or lending club or things like that, which aren't quite credit card rates, but they're not exactly prime plus two. What if, and what if Nigel can factor his receivables? Is that a good idea? Yeah, but how much does Nigel really have in receivables? So factoring your receivables means that, that, some, that, a, that a lender will give you sometimes 75 or 80 cents on the dollar for what your account's receivable. And then when you get paid, you pay them back another 10% or so on their receivables. So it's a very expensive way to borrow money and maintain, but it's a tool that a lot of manufacturers use, particularly in the garment industry. Right, so you need to have that AR volume um, for that. And not, Nigel just may not have that volume. We're trying to, using technology, we're trying to get Nigel to get on a really fast payment cycle here. Right. He sends out a bill it, electronically, it has a link to a payment system, whether it's Clover or Square, into it that they just can either ACH money or um, send it by credit card. So his his collection cycles really fast. Right. And um, something that something that a lot of small business people do that's really uh, dangerous is they'll use their own credit cards through their business in order to to get cash quickly. By the way, it's against the credit card laws, and you'll lose the ability to clear credit cards, but I know of more than one uh, company that did that, got caught and was really crippled by the inability to take credit cards after that point. Amex will shut you down yeah. and put you on financial review and not just your business card, your personal card, all cards, if yeah. they charges like that. Not a good way to, to finance your business. And just to be clear, Joel, what you're talking about is I need an extra 10 grand of cash. I run my credit card through my own Square um, processing or into a processing and get 9,700 bucks deposited into my bank account. Yeah. Big, big mistake. Don't do that. Anybody who's listening. Don't, don't do that. Yeah. Um, but you also lead to another point. Make your life simple. Use separate credit cards, uh, in your business, you know, uh, if you got a business credit card and a personal credit card, you never have to worry about reimbursing yourself. You never have to worry about uh, justifying uh, separating out, out charges. Um, anyways, I digress. We're talking about paying your bills um, and using credit wisely. Um, but more importantly, spend your money wisely. On the way here this morning, I stopped at Starbucks. I don't usually stop at Starbucks. 
But I did, did a little quick math. If I go to Starbucks every day, and I sometimes I see the same people at Starbucks. I go there five days a week. I spent $8.30 this morning on my cappuccino and my sandwich. If I do that five days a week, that is $41.50 a week. If I do that for 50 weeks a year, that's $2,075. No, it's not. Yeah. It's $2,600, $2,700. Because you bought that with post-tax, pre-tax dollars. Post -tax. You're right. Right. You're absolutely right. Thinking like, like Nigel needs to be thinking. Yeah. It's not worth, how much business do I have to do to buy a Starbucks every day? Uh, you know what? 7-Eleven's coffee isn't bad. <laughs> pretty good so is Nespresso so yeah. is the bag of coffee from from uh, 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 Price Club or Costco Price Club I just dated myself so invest your money wisely and like you say Joel you know think about it as a buck 30 buck 40 for every dollar you're gonna spend yeah and you know the most important thing is for Nigel I'm gonna sit down I'm gonna tell him have fun at what you do if it's not fun it's not worth doing because you're just not going to put your heart into it. But have fun at what you do. You're saying, I think you mean find the passion in what you're doing. Because I think a lot of, a lot of those people who are starting a small business, you know, fun doesn't, fun takes a backseat to almost everything you're doing. Because you're, so when you have the, so I, I would change the word to, to, to passion, just forgive me, Stephen, but just passion because sometimes when the mission is bigger than the, the task, then the passion comes, even though it may not be fun. No, you know, I'm actually going to go back to the word fun. If okay, me <laughs> enjoying what I do, yeah, it gives them more confidence in what I do. Yeah. Well, uh, so I actually, I actually will you stand by the word fun. If right. Nigel, Nigel's got a pool service, and if he makes it fun, that well, that's part of his reputation. Right. And when people say, God, I really like the way Nigel works. He's always got a smile. It's always happy. He's always ready, ready with a yes. It always seems like he's having fun. That's great. Capital. I think that's a good, that's a good point. I'll, I'll stand down on my, on my, <laughs> Hey, Steven, I, I want to go back to the first point. If you said, you yeah. said nimble, can you elaborate on that? What does that mean? I, I've heard that word my whole life. I know I've had to make quick decisions when, when, when problems happen, but being ready to be nimble is more of a, I'm not, can you put systems in place to be ready to be nimble? Or do you, is it a mindset that you have to maintain to be nimble? How does, how does somebody follow that place? You can create systems for everything. Um, but being nimble is a mindset. It is not predicting the future or planning the future based on how you've always done things in the past. It is being flexible enough to respond to changes that you can't control. It is having enough vision to respond to opportunities as they come up. Can I add that it's also a, a, a trait of maturity also, because, yeah. because I think when you're, um, when you're, when you have tunnel vision, when you know you're, you're doing it one thing, one way, and this works, and this is the way you want to do it. And then the situation changes and adjusts it. It takes a, a mature person to realize that they can't control everything and they now need to change their, change their approach to things. And so, uh, it's, it's, 
do you agree with that or is that a and let's separate mature from growing up because i've i've spent my whole life avoiding growing up but yeah it does take a maturity right um and it that maturity comes from experience in business and experience in life and realizing that you can't control everything the profession the people that i know that are the most successful in business have a really good team of professionals including yeah. CPAs. Talk to the audience and, and Nigel about what to look for when choosing an accounting practice, because you're an accounting partner to a lot of really interesting entrepreneurial businesses. You can elaborate on that if you want. You've shared with me some of them that are just mind boggling to me, how they have the business model evolved to where they are. And it takes, and you're, you can handle complex businesses that have these interesting dynamics to them. How do you, how does Nigel pick a good accounting practice? A good okay, so in my top five list of things that is really 13 or 14 amongst them is surround yourself with smart people. I always grew up in that business environment that you need to have a team of advisors. You need to have a good marketing person. You need to have a good attorney um, and you need to have a good accountant and your accountant shouldn't just be your tax preparer. Frankly, the machine or the team do most of that. Your accountant should be your advisor, not somebody you see every April, but somebody you see regularly throughout the year. So when you're looking for a CPA, look for somebody first who's, who's going to give you access to them, not just uh, to their team. Look for somebody who's got reputation and understands your business. If Nigel's in the automotive business. Candidly, I don't know anything about automotive. Right? So no, go to somebody who has experience in their in in their business or their type of business. Look for somebody who you can afford. Professional fees are important, <laughs> my own uh, well-being aside, but look for somebody you can afford. I We don't bill by the hour. I've told you all about our, our pricing model. We use value pricing. We're actually moving to a subscription pricing uh, basis. Uh, we're experimenting with some customers right now and they really appreciate it. Our customers don't worry about getting pinged for six tenths of an hour every time they pick up the phone and call me they're you're they're encouraged to call you because they, they they're not going to get dinged for a portion of a portion of a 15-minute phone call right and that's really critical especially the accessibility part you have to be able to get them on the phone in the first place and then you have to be able to speak with them and not worry about watching the clock so you don't you know get the information you need and you get bad ideas back and around and and frankly i think you want an accountant who's going to challenge you and not just tell you that your ideas are good run with it but to challenge you how did you, you know how did you come to these conclusions what what plan how are you going to do this throw out the ideas that the entrepreneur typically doesn't think about because the entrepreneurs are typically gung-ho to, to to hit market and the accountant is often the 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 ballast that which keeps you straight and on the narrow and straight and true because they bring up the other points they're not necessarily going to discourage you, but they're going to just bring up things that you need to make sure that you you've thought about before you move forward or as you move forward. You're absolutely right, Joel. We actually believe that the, the answer to every how do I do this is yes. Okay. That doesn't make us yes people. I will give you a no, geez, that's a dumb idea. Uh, just as quickly, uh, we do challenge our customers and our customers come to us for that. Um, but again, they've got to take advantage of us. We charge them for the whole year of service, if that's the scope that we've that they that they've asked us for and we've given them. I've charged them for the whole year of service, whether they use me or not. 
they should use me. Nigel should make regular appointments with me. Now we may have to price that into his, his overall scope, but he should make regular appointments with me so that come April, there are no surprises. And we have stepped through the year strategically. We've also connected him to other resources, attorneys, uh, bankers, payroll services, bookkeepers. Um, I always kind of believe that the CPA is the uh, business or can be the business quarterback. So tell us about you and how your background and, um, and how we get a hold of you. Well, first of all, a good way to get to know uh, Morrison D'Angelo is by going to our website, cpadudes.com. Our URL should say it all about us. Uh, we take our work seriously. We don't take ourselves that seriously. Um, and the other thing is, is that you don't get just one person. We don't have silos like traditional accounting firms. My book, your book, his book. We're not paid based on how much business I bring in or how much uh, how many hours I bill. Uh, so any given account may have two partners on it of the four partners. Any given account may have a manager and a partner. Um, so that we have different ideas, different voices involved in advising a customer. Okay. A um, little bit about Morrison D'Angelo. We're, we're celebrating our 25th year. Very proud of that. We, um, Again, we service entrepreneurs, family offices. We do tax returns, we do financial statements, but what we really do is we help uh, enable transformation and we sell sleep. Sell sleep, I love it. I love it, that's awesome. Well, Stephen Geller, integrating partner of Morrison D'Angelo CPAs, you're a, you're a great panelist. Thank you again. I'm, I'm going to hopefully, I'm going to ask you to put you on the spot here. Can I bring you back for future panels? I would be delighted to, Joel. Uh, thank you. And hope this was coherent. I, I hope so too. But I think it was. I think it was. You're awesome. Thanks very much for being on Small Business. And I, can I just uh, make a little shout out for, uh, for your producer there? Yeah, so, sure. Uh, Thanks. I, I think the world of your producer, I remember him when he was a little pitcher. And um, he's a great young man. I've been, uh, we're very proud of, of his accomplishments as I know that you are. So, I am, yeah. So, so Stephen, of course, is talking about my son, Charlie Volk of Mr. Thrive Media. And I agree, he's doing a great job producing the show and he's not a bad kid either. So, yeah, yeah. So that's it. That's it. Thanks. Thanks for, thanks for allowing me to ramble on like this. I appreciate it and always love to come back. Hey, Steven, that was great. Thank you for preparing so much and putting all this thought into saving Nigel. I wanna encourage all of you to reach out to Steven, Nancy, and Janice. You can go to the show notes and we will have all this contact information in the show notes. So this has been a fantastic episode. It's really ambitious to put together. I hope you guys know that a lot of work went into this. I hope it shows, I hope it was a value. That's the most important thing because we want the Nigels of the world and the people who are struggling with their businesses, learning how to take the challenges and make them into opportunities. We want them, this to be of value to you. And uh, for the people that are more seasoned out there, we want this to stimulate some thought and maybe uh, you can help us uh, deliver a better message. We're gonna follow Nigel through his career because you know we made him up, so why not? Let's, 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 let's find some other challenges for him and we're gonna workshop some of those. So 
If you have any ideas for what challenges Nigel might face, please um, email me at uh, jv at jovopro.com. Go to the website, there's a little form to help. And I wanna thank the panelists again. Over the many years I've worked at Mercury Document Imaging, we've been solving business problems using technology. And now we have this new reality. Employees are working from home and companies are trying to stay relevant and efficient and have accountability for their employees while doing so. The big problem is that the cyber criminals are working from home too. And they have been doing this longer and know what they're doing and know what vulnerabilities you've created by kind of throwing this together quickly. So now that it looks like we're gonna be here for a while, it's time to think about this. I want you to reach out to my company. We'll either help you or refer you to a partner that can help you, depending on what the vulnerability is. But the first thing to do is start with an assessment, make sure that you're protected, and then find the weak link. So please call us, 818-782-1221. My extension is 25913, but call anybody at the office. We're all happy to help you, and we want to make sure that we don't have any more problems than we already have. Thanks. Next on Small BizCast is Danny Davis of Pearl CBD. Danny's revolutionizing the CBD industry with some unique pricing, some unique packaging, and some unique processes. I think you're gonna love this interview because you'll learn so much. Here's a sneak peek. This change in, a, in, in dynamic is something that most people don't understand. Most people are selling themselves or selling a, a product or whatever way too hard. And it comes across as inauthentic. So we talked talked a lot about authentic, authenticity today. So I, I think authenticity and, and efficiency are probably the, the primary a focus of this conversation. 